Chapter Six of Maggie, a Girl of the Streets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Maggie, a Girl of the Streets by Stephen Crane. Chapter Six. Pete took note of Maggie. Say, Mag, I'm stuck on your shape. It's out of sight he said parenthetically with an affable grin as he became aware that she was listening closely he grew still more eloquent in his descriptions of various happenings in his career it appeared that he was invincible in fights why he said referring to a man with whom he had had a misunderstanding dat mug scrapped like a damn dago dat's right he was dead easy see he taught he was a scrapper but he found out different. Holy gee! He walked to and fro in the small room, which seemed then to grow even smaller and unfit to hold his dignity, the attribute of a supreme warrior. That swing of the shoulders that had frozen the timid when he was but a lad had increased with his growth and education at the ratio of ten to one. It, combined with the sneer upon his mouth, told mankind that there was nothing in space which could appall him. Maggie marveled at him and surrounded him with greatness. She vaguely tried to calculate the altitude of the pinnacle from which he must have looked down upon her. I met a chump de other day way up in de city, he said. I was goin' to see a friend of mine. When I was across in de street, de chump runned plump into me, and then he turns round and says, You're insolent ruffian! he says, like dat. Oh, gee, I says, oh, gee, go to hell and get off de ert, I says, like dat, see? Go to hell and get off de ert, like that. Den de blokey, he got wild. He says I was a contemptible scoundrel, or something like dat, and he says I was doomed to everlastin' perdition and all like dat. Gee, I says, gee, de hell I am, I says, de hell I am, like dat and den I slugged him, see? With Jimmy in his company, Pete departed in a sort of a blaze of glory from the Johnson home. Maggie, leaning from the window, watched him as he walked down the street. Here was a formidable man who disdained the strength of a world full of fists. Here was one who had contempt for brass-clothed power, one whose knuckles could defiantly ring against the granite of law. He was a knight. The two men went from under the glimmering street lamp and passed into shadows. Turning, Maggie contemplated the dark, dust-stained walls and the scant and crude furniture of her home. A clock, in a splintered and battered oblong box of varnished wood, she suddenly regarded as an abomination. She noted that it ticked raspingly. The almost vanished flowers in the carpet pattern she conceived to be newly hideous. Some faint attempts she had made with blue ribbon to freshen the appearance of a dingy curtain she now saw to be piteous. She wondered what Pete dined on. She reflected upon the collar and cuff factory. It began to appear to her mind as a dreary place of endless grinding. Pete's elegant occupation brought him, no doubt, into contact with people who had money and manners. It was probable that he had a large acquaintance of pretty girls. He must have great sums of money to spend. To her, the earth was composed of hardships and insults. 
she felt instant admiration for a man who openly defied it. She thought that if the grim angel of death should clutch his heart, Pete would shrug his shoulders and say, Oh, everything goes. She anticipated that he would come again shortly. She spent some of her week's pay in the purchase of flowered creton for a lambrequin. She made it with infinite care and hung it to the slightly careening mantle over the stove in the kitchen. She studied it with painful anxiety from different points in the room. She wanted it to look well on Sunday night when, perhaps, Jimmy's friend would come. On Sunday night, however, Pete did not appear. Afterward, the girl looked at it with a sense of humiliation. She was now convinced that Pete was superior to admiration for lambrequins. A few evenings later, Pete entered with fascinating innovations in his apparel. As she had seen him twice, and he had different suits on each time, Maggie had a dim impression that his wardrobe was prodigiously extensive. "'Say, Mag,' he said, "'put on your best duds Friday night and I'll take yous to the show, see?' He spent a few moments in flourishing his clothes and then vanished without having glanced at the lambrequin. Over the eternal collars and cuffs in the factory, Maggie spent the most of three days in making imaginary sketches of Pete and his daily environment. She imagined some half-dozen women in love with him, and thought he must lean dangerously toward an indefinite one, whom she pictured with great charms of person, but with an altogether contemptible disposition. She thought he must live in a blare of pleasure. He had friends and people who were afraid of him. She saw the golden glitter of the place where Pete was to take her, an entertainment of many hues and many melodies, where she was afraid she might appear small and mouse-colored. Her mother drank whiskey all Friday morning. With lurid face and tossing hair, she cursed and destroyed furniture all Friday afternoon. When Maggie came home at half-past six, her mother lay asleep amidst the wreck of chairs and a table. Fragments of various household utensils were scattered about the floor. She had vented some phase of drunken fury upon the lambrequin. It lay in a bedraggled heap in the corner. Ha! she snorted, sitting up suddenly. Where de hell ya been? Why de hell don't ya come home earlier? Been loafin' round de streets. You're gettin' to be a regular devil. When Pete arrived, Maggie, in a worn black dress, was waiting for him in the midst of a floor strewn with wreckage. The curtain at the window had been pulled by a heavy hand and hung by one tack, dangling to and fro in the draft through the cracks at the sash. The knots of blue ribbons appeared like violated flowers. The fire in the stove had gone out. The displaced lids and open doors showed heaps of sullen gray ashes. The remnants of a meal, ghastly, like dead flesh, lay in a corner. Maggie's red mother, stretched on the floor, blasphemed and gave her daughter a bad name. End of chapter 6